Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Kewl Podcast. I am your host tonight, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kewl. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, as Alex would say, the St. Louis Blues have won the 2019 Stanley Cup. Holy smokes! I know it's been a while. We missed three games since our last episode, but boy, was this a fun series to watch. If you missed it, that's your fault. You 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 lost. Uh, you lost personally because compared to last year, I mean, last year was fun series because it was Vegas. The year before that, it was this, the the story of Smashville. 2016, you could say, well, you know, is this the year Joe Thornton will win the cup and Pittsburgh kind of returning to glory with this rookie goaltender by the name of Matt Murray? I mean, 2015, the Hawks, I mean, you can go back and when was the last great series that was so tight from start to finish? Maybe the 2013 final. Maybe the 2011 final. Ironically, both featuring the Boston Bruins. One, the Boston won. The other, they lost. However, this year, the Bruins could not get it done, but it was a classic series nonetheless. We'll dive more into games five, six, and especially seven and all the Stanley Cup celebrations that followed in just a couple moments. But if you want to talk about this episode, please use the hashtag Podcast or tweet us at Podcast to talk about this show and also talk about our big announcement that we announced earlier today. The Kewl Podcast has teamed up with Downtown Sports Network and have become the first hockey podcast a part of the Downtown Sports Network. Downtown Sports Network, relatively a newer network that has podcasts. The goal for that for the network is to have podcasts for each and every team in each and every sport. They have podcasts for Formula One, they have NASCAR, all the NFL teams, and we are very proud and very honored to be their first ever hockey show. So we hope we make an impact here. So if you this is the first time you're ever listening, welcome. Welcome to the Kewl Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm usually joined by the usual host of the show, Alex Kewl, but due to scheduling conflicts, he was not able to make it to our recording here tonight. But with the worth working with Downtown Sports Network, now you won't just find us on Google Play or the Apple Podcast Network. You'll also find us on Spotify, our iHeartRadio, Spreaker, you name it. We're on it now. So no reason you shouldn't be listening to our show. Except for listening to us, so I mean that gives you a, a pretty good reason not to listen to us. But nonetheless, here you are now, lending us your ears, at least through whether you're listening on your phone, your tablet, your laptop, if you're streaming Spotify on your TV, which you can do. I've done that before, actually. Uh, thank you very much for tuning into this episode. We've been doing this now for, this will be our second playoffs. We started in February of last year which was pretty weird because, well, let's just put it this way. We were recording everything off my old Samsung S4, and now we have a little bit better of equipment. We have better microphones. We have a better editing system. We're not just doing everything in one take. We can actually edit stuff. It's kind of nice. So, um, of course, if you've been listening for the last season, you know that we've been doing an okay job, I like to say. But let's get into this. So we left off, left you all folks after Game 4. Series was tied at two, a tighter series than anything else. So we go to game five back in Boston. Bruins kind of flying, but Jordan Bennington steals the show. Again, makes the big saves. When I called him out after game two, he had to play better. What did he do? Played better. 
He did exactly what he needed to do. So, helps the team out. Team finds legs, the Blues do. <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly, after a sick pass between legs by Zach Sanford. Yes, I'm saying that right. Zach Sanford with a nice be- behind the back, between the legs, from behind the net pass to O'Reilly. Good finish without the toe this time. All backhand there for Mr. O'Reilly. Put him up one nothing, And then, of course, the now infamous Tyler Bozak trip on Noel Achari. That ended up leading the Dave Perron goal. I'm not going to dive too far into it. It's been a long enough time. We've had two games since then, obviously. The finals are over. Who knows what would have happened. All we know is that you know the Boston Bruins uh, interior designers have to go fix the the front office box where Cam Neely chucked his water bottle and probably broke the, you know, the drywall or something. Let's hey that boy, hey Cam Neely's still a strong man. You're not messing with him. Big number eight still in there. He can feed you one four. So, but anyways, they end up going on to win two to one. Ends up being the game winning goal. So uh, yes, I understand a lot of Boston fans are mad about that, but the game is odd that way. So they go back to St. Louis. Game six, everything's set. In St. Louis, an opportunity to clinch the cup on home ice, and the St. Louis Dispatch Post does what? What? Oh, geez, they jinxed it. So if you guys don't know, the St. Louis Dispatch, they accidentally put out what they were going to, you know, how they were going to congratulate the Blues and the front page of the newspaper. They already had it printed out. And, well, that more or less may have done it for them. I mean, Jenna Fisher, of course, as you know, Pam from The Office, went on, NBC Sports uh, went on the NBC broadcast during intermission saying, ah, I got that before the series, trying to shrug off the fact that it was complete, a complete jinx. It was a complete screw job. No, it was not. It was not a screw job. It was, it's just entertaining to know that as soon as I saw that, I'm like, we're going to game seven because Mr. Superstitious goaltender here understands that you don't call it before it happens. Even if you knock on wood, you don't put it in print. You don't put it in ink. I would not have written down. Listen, I yes, I picked Boston in six. I know my pick. I didn't write an ink. I didn't put money down on it. Why? Because you really had no honest good pick in this series. Especially watching after seven games. I mean, you could have told the first two games that, wow, this could be a very tight series. Some people were picking Boston in five. Well, they look a little foolish now, don't they? Not just because St. Louis won, but the series was going to go a lot longer than five. You could tell after game one, after, even though St. Louis kind of let game one get out of their hands, let they let it slip right through their fingers, they still showed that they could hang in there. So anyways, it was still a close game for the most part for the Blues. It was only one nothing. Brad Marchand on that wicked one-timer. That's like Brett Hall, but left-handed and on a, on a beeline pass. Not many guys can get that shot off. That's a, that's a highly skilled hockey player. Brad Marchand is no longer the guy that... Okay, he can skate kind of fast, but he'll spear you when he needs to. No, he can play. You don't get 100 points for being a bum. Okay? Listen, I know Joel Otto scored a lot of goals back in the day for Calgary, but let's be honest. He's not, no, this is not because he just tipped everything in. Brad Marchand has skills. He has skills. They are chills, and they are multiplying. But unfortunately, he lost a little control when he knee, when he got a little bit of a knee incident, which, which did get a penalty, but... When, okay, when Hockey Night in Canada goes on Twitter and says Brad Marchand being Brad Marchand, you know that you have a reputation right then and there when these social media people are calling you out. Social media obviously being a very prevalent media source these days, so they have a very solid say now in today's media world. But it was still a close game, though. Still one nothing. 
It was not over yet, but yet they get to the third period and the wheels just fell off. Four, the Blues kept her close. They tried to. They went down 3-0, unfortunately. Kuhlman got a goal. Carlo got another goal. Then Paston Chara, of all people, got a goal. Of course, remember, Chara got the big stay ovation after, or at the beginning of Game 5 for coming back and with the broken jaw and the football mask. But he, they still came out, and the Bruins got the job done. Bennington did not play well. Allowed a couple of squeakers that I'm sure he'd like to have back. So you go back to Game 7 in Boston. The crowd's rocking. The crowd's going bonkers. And there are quite a few St. Louis fans there. I'm sure if you guys all saw in the post-game ceremonies, there were still a lot of Blues fans there. But they get to the game. The game starts, and St. Louis just, uh, just forgot what day it was. The Bruins came out with everything. They were firing on all cylinders. They were getting pucks to the net. And boy, if you watched Game 6 and you kind of said, hey, Boston's going to come out hard in the first five minutes, oh, it's easily going to be 4-0, the way Bennington played, the way the defense played. Man, that was an all-around effort. What about that the big block, Marcus Johansson, after a horrible turnover by Pareko? Man, those first five minutes for Colton Pareko, he made him look like he was no better than a third-pairing AHL defenseman. Holy cow, Martin Marinson has less giveaways than him. But big play by Joel Edmondson getting a block on Johansson. And then even the pucks that got through, Jordan Bennington making some good-looking saves. Okay, it's still 0-0, but Boston's still pressing on. But then came the big save. Puck gets loose in front. Nordstrom's got a wide-open chance, and Bennington kicks the leg out. Now listen, it's not the greatest save of all time, but the save, and at the moment of that game, at that point, at that stage, on the big stage of Game 7, it arguably could be the clutchest save in Stanley Cup playoff history. Hands down. Curtis Joseph, eat your heart out. I love you to death, Cujo, but that may be the best one. Listen, that's if that puck goes in, Boston's winning the Stanley Cup. I don't care how much time was left in the game. I don't care if St. Louis ever would have found their footing. That goal would have may have been the dagger because the crowd would have gotten, they would have kept on into it. Place would have kept going bonkers, but that save kind of put a little bit of doubt in not just the Boston lineup, but the crowd in Boston and New England in its entirety. All the people in Bush Stadium and Enterprise Center in St. Louis were losing their minds thinking, oh my gosh, where this is going to happen. So then a couple moments later, good pressure in the offensive zone by the O'Reilly line. Sammy Blake gets the puck behind that, throws it out to the point, gets over to Bowmeister, shoots and tip, and it goes in. A tip by Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly is the first player in Stanley Cup final history since Wayne Gretzky back when the Oilers beat the Flyers back in 85 to score in four consecutive games. For a guy that was nearly absent earlier in the playoffs, for a guy that was brought into this team to make it this team legitimate contender, stepping up in the finals, five goals and three assists, in a seven-game series. Guys, not many people do that in junior. I mean, we talked about some of the performances from junior players when I was doing the CHL previews and the round previews and recaps and whatever. Some guys didn't even put up eight points. He did it in the finals. For a guy that's hardly ever been to the playoffs, shooting out with Buffalo, a little bit with Colorado, but never been to the finals, never had to be on that big of a stage in game seven, but gets a little stick on it, gets through Tuker's legs, and 
holy cow, the Blues are up on nothing. They keep pressing on. They keep going. Boston, though, gets a couple of chances. Dying seconds of the first period. All right, well, this ain't Jaden Schwartz skating the puck up the ice. Well, this can't be nothing, but wait, hold on. Schwartz gets the puck in, moves it back to Petrangelo, who is just wide open, just left there, and Alex Petrangelo with the dangle, looking like Robert Bertuzzo there with, the, with those hands coming in. Backhander, almost top shelf, puts it under Rask. With less than 10 seconds left, the Blues are up 2 nothing. And yes, everyone's pointing at Brad Marchand on that goal. Yes, that's a horrible line change with that little time left. Absolutely, I get it. Because guess what? That's Brad Marchand's guy. Schwartz gets by, Marchand just gets off the ice, and Petrangelo just like, okay, white ice, hello, my name is Captain Petrangelo, and he just walks on in. Heck, he could have done a waltz, a five-minute waltz by the time someone came back and covered him, but no, Petrangelo gets all the time, makes the great play, it's 2-0. TD Garden is silent. The entire state of Missouri is loud. Yes, Missouri. I said Missouri. So we go to period number two. Blues kind of kept it pretty even. I wouldn't say it was nearly as, I wouldn't say, I don't say close, bad or whatever, but they were still hanging in there. Okay. The game's tight. But I mean, looking at the shots, you got to look at it and you got to say, well, they were they were fairly close in the third period. They were 10-10 in the third period. They were they, The Bruins outshot the Blues 12-4 and then 11-6 in period number two. But it seemed like the chances in that second period, there were a couple good saves by Bennington, don't get me wrong. But you could tell it was starting to wear on the Bruins. We go to the third period, still a 2-0 game. Braden Shen gets a goal with a little over halfway gone in the third period. And then Zach, Zach Sanford with a nice little backdoor pass from Perron made it 4 nothing. Yeah, the Bruins ruined the shutout with Greslick's little flutter bug that beat a screen Bennington to make it 4-1. But this 4-1 lead was held in the TD Garden. So help me goodness. And the Blues win the Stanley Cup. The, t- oh, the players were halfway off the bench, but there's three seconds left. Bennington actually celebrated, which it's funny. If you ever, there was a, there's a video that's going around on Twitter. I think it's on YouTube as well. You can probably look it up. There is a guy behind with the, you know, just doing a phone shot. And Bennington does like his little glove stick tap, whatever he does at the end of every game, like with 10 seconds left because he knows he's going to get bombarded. He was able to get his stick and gloves off, which is the most emotion we've seen out of him all playoffs pretty much. Let's be honest. But man. That was a series. Guys, that was fun. I hope it was fun for you as it was for us. My brother and I were watching the game. We just, I, I don't want to say we couldn't believe it, but the way the Blues were able to just take control over and just how defeated the Bruins felt in that third period, man, that was a, that was the perfect, that was the epitome of the St. Louis St. Louis, St. Louis Blues team, get ahead, shut them down at the end, not let them have too many chances late when it matters most. Yeah, you're right. They got Shelton that first period, in the first part of that first period, and they easily could have been down three or four nothing. Charles Barkley himself, Sir Charles, went on the NBC broadcast and said, "Hey, it's it's the goaltender." Yes, I'm. Yes, I know he didn't know which would you know who's who Bennington was, but. Listen, he's a basketball guy. 
I couldn't tell you half the players on the Warriors except you know, Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Kevin Durant. There's that other guy that pulled a hamstring. That's how well I know. By the way, Raptors play at 9 o'clock tonight, which is in about 20 minutes from right now when we're recording, which will be a crazy game because I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to watch yet. I have my superstitions with that. But back to hockey here, trying to keep this one focused for once, which is very difficult for yours truly, who has an undiagnosed case of attention deficit disorder. But just... It was a great moment to see. And, of course, they showed the live shots in St. Louis. Even the crowd in Bush Stadium, which don't forget, the, the seats were only from foul pole to foul pole behind home plate because, well, you had to see the big screen in the middle. And I guarantee you they could have easily have sold out the old Bush Stadium if it were still up today with how many people were willing to go out there in the rain, the pouring buckets rain. I think it had stopped raining by the end by the third period for them, so they were able to get a little dried off before they started showering each other with beer in St. Louis. But, man, that that's a, it's such a great moment. St. Louis has earned it. That city who, had, who dealt with some very good hockey teams that were just underperformers in the playoffs. Everyone remembers 2016, but 2016 was kind of similar because, well, that team wasn't that great either. They started off with... Yaroslav Halak, they went with Brian Elliott instead, and, well, Brian Elliott's like, I got this, and got them all to the conference finals where they ran into a very good San Jose Sharks team. And even before that, you look at the you know the old Chris Pronger team, the old Joe Quinville coach teams, the President's Trophy winning St. Louis Blues, teams that just could not get it done when the, when it mattered most. When you, I mean, don't forget, when you had to play Dallas and Colorado and Detroit in those days, you weren't. It was going to be a tough time for you. Let's be honest. You're. Not, it's very difficult. That was a very difficult time to be a Western Conference team and expect to have playoff success. But that said, this Blues team was able to do what they'd never done the the longest drought for a team to win their first championship in the league. Because even the Oakland Seals, who did combine with the Cleveland Barons, who combined with the Dallas or Minnesota Stars, to became the Minnesota North Stars, became the Dallas Stars, even won it in shorter time, technically thirty-two years. So, I mean, kind of you could just see the emotion and the fireworks were kind of interesting. I I never seen pyro after in a Stanley Cup celebration. If there was one last year, I completely forgot about it. I don't think there was, but. It was kind of cool, but I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I mean, you know, add it to make it a little more, a little more flashy. You know, have the nice picture up with the fireworks in the background. And I mean, Petrangelo now is is always going to say, well, they had to light a fire under my keister to get me to lift the cup, and or some dumb joke that I decided to make up right there that will totally bomb at the box office. But of course, Petrangelo lifts it for a second, but immediately right to Jay Bowmeister. Bo Meester, who I believe is second to Joe Thornton in games played without a cup out of all the current players. I mean, and he's never he's never been the biggest guy. I remember when he played on those bad teams in Calgary, those bad teams in Florida with Roberto Luongo. He's always been a relatively okay defenseman. I mean, he's always he's always been a very solid in his own zone defenseman, but he's never flashy. He was never outgoing with the media. He just, you know, he's ho-hum. I'm just here to play the game, and that was his job. And he's finally rewarded with the Stanley Cup. And then, of course, it went along the line. Other players, of course, went around to Patrick Maroon, 
who St. Louis boy took a pay cut to play for his hometown team. He was just happy. He was, I mean, you got to be, like you can see it in the emotion, not just of Maroon, but guys that have been there. I like Bo Meester, like Petrangelo, you know, and all the, the staff that came on the ice. And Craig Berube getting a loud ovation by the players and fans because, man, that interim tag better get taken off by Doug Armstrong. They, they wrote, that was always the weirdest part when they do it. I mean, doing the, the starting lineups, I, I know it's a tradition, but it's still kind of weird because they only do it for the finals. But interim head coach, Craig Berube. Well, that's just weird. You can't call him a head coach, but now they're, I guarantee you, I guarantee darn to you, unless Craig Berube gets $25 million to coach a different team, that interim tag's getting taken off and he's going he's gonna to get paid to be the St. Louis Blues head coach next season. I almost want to make a solid set in stone prediction that Berube wins the Jack Adams. Because if you look at the other two candidates and John Cooper and Barry Trotz, listen, John Cooper had the best team in the league, great skill, didn't win a game in the, in the playoffs at all. They won 62 games, none in the postseason, doesn't matter. Barry Trotz took the worst, the most goals allowed in, in the Islanders, with the Islanders, worst defensive team in the league, to the best defensive team in the league, Jennings Trophy Award winners. Yes, they got beaten in the second round by the Carolina Hurricanes, but still a good year. But Craig Berube, tell me if you haven't heard this before, folks. The Blues were in last place on January 3rd, didn't you know? But Craig Berube got this team together. This team that I picked to finish in the top three of the Central Division ended up finishing in the top three. I think I may have picked them to finish second. The team was that, I thought they were that stacked. But of course, I didn't think it was going to be because of Jordan Bennington. I thought it was because Jake Allen was going to have a bounce back year and all these pieces were going to come together. I mean, I mean, we'll get to more in the Blues story here in a second, but Craig Berube deserves everything he got. Doug Armstrong as well. And, of course, Colt Brako gets the cup. Chris Thorburn out there. Tyler Bozak gets the Stanley Cup. Toronto, you got to be happy for him. I was. I was certainly happy for Mr. Bozak. I know I saw that there was a couple St. Louis players or St. Louis fans or others like, hey, Tyler Bozak's got a Stanley Cup. Suck it, Saint, suck it, Toronto. And I'm like, well, we had to get rid of him. I mean, no offense, everyone. I mean, all kidding aside, that's $5 million for a third-line third center. But I'm proud of Bozak. I'm so happy for him. He deserves every single bit of it because that guy worked incredibly hard. And he played in a market where he was chastised from day one onward. A college free agent had no reason being the first line center for the Leafs, even though they were a really bad Leafs team at that point. At the end of his Leafs tenure, everyone's like, oh, please get rid of him. He's a defensive liability and blah, blah, blah. Guys, he was on the penalty kill for the Blues. A defensive liability for Toronto, sure, but he goes to St. Louis under Craig Berube and finds defensive abilities and did a good job at it. So, I mean, the whole team, of course, Alex Steen, former Leaf great, Carl Gunnarsson, former Leaf great, all the former Leaf greats winning the cup. I'm just kidding. Steen and Gunnarsson, they're more longtime blues than they are Leafs. But those guys getting their cup, absolutely so great. But, of course... I would be remiss. I would punch myself in the face if I had not, if I did not mention Layla Anderson, who was giving special permission by her doctor to even be, to even go on a flight to Boston. Of course, if you guys don't remember, Layla Anderson, 11 year old girl with a very rare blood disorder that she just got treatment done right before the, 
right before, I think during the playoffs, excuse me, was able to go and watch the Blues throughout the playoff run and cheer them on. She even got on NBC. She got on to NBC before I did. I mean, then again, she's probably much better than I'll ever be on the air, so I'm not going to say anything about that. But Layla, she was just an inspiration. And I remember we first talked about her. I'm like, oh, it's just so cool to see her and all of her emotion, all that. And she got, you know, she came out for game three, let's go blue. She came out on the ice and we're like, yeah, Layla, woo. And then she's there in game seven and she gets onto the ice and they're celebrating. It's so cool. And then, you know, Alex Steen's hugging her and Petrangelo's picking her up and holding onto her and giving her hugs and whatever. And then the coolest thing ever happens. Colton Pareko has the Stanley Cup, probably the second or third time he's held it. Who knows? Who cares? But he sees Layla, and he gets down on one knee, and they're taking pictures with her. She's kind of holding on to it, and she says, kiss, and he's like, kiss the Stanley Cup, and Layla gets it, and she kisses it. And the pure emotional just, yeah, from Layla was just, it was so, that's why if you go on our guys' Twitter, at the Cool Podcast, you'll see we made it our background picture because, the video is cool. The picture of it is so much better. I know it's stupid cliche when you say a picture's worth a thousand words. Guys, I could write 10,000 words about that. It is this perfect picture of emotion and excitement and joy and everything that is good in this world all wrapped up into one little moment between a defenseman who had a poor five minutes but was still a capable defender on this team, and this inspirational girl who captured the hearts of both sides, of even throughout the entire playoffs, from the Western playoffs onto the final, caught the imagination of the hockey world because no matter what she'd gone through, she fought everything, and she just was still this diehard Blues fan. She was just like one of us, but she was she's given this awesome opportunity to be a part of such an incredible celebration and seeing her just be so happy and they and the players and the staff are happy for her. She's happy for them. I easily watched it probably a hundred times last night. I could have gone to bed at a reasonable time, but I just kept watching over and over and trying not to cry myself to sleep because it was just this awesome and beautiful moment watching it. And, oh man, it was, I love this game. (laughs) I love this game a lot. It's it's so pure. This is not made up. This is not some forced things. Like, hey, guys, we should do this for a PR st-. No, this wasn't. This was pure and joyful. And if it doesn't melt your heart, I'm sorry. You got to, like, put a heater on that or something to warm up that stone-cold heart of yours because that's just wonderful. Everything about it. Oh, man. It, it, it was awesome. And for the fact that even the Blues even to get to this point, I like I said, the Blues, last place, January 3rd. Heck, Zach Sanford was getting his face punched in by Robert Bertuzzo just a few weeks prior. This Blues team were like the LA Kings, a team with some expectations heading into the year. Maybe St. Louis a little more than LA. I mean, LA had Kovalchuk, Jonathan Quick, a couple of older players on the team, but they could still make the playoffs, right? Nope, they're in a top 10 draft pick position. Thanks to the lottery, of course, they could have been a little closer. But nonetheless, that's a story for a different time. But this team was able to fight through everything. They get Craig Berube in. He says, all right, guys, here we go. We're going to do it this way. 
And don't forget, Doug Armstrong, yes, I know, you've heard it before. Armstrong was going to sell Petrangelo. Pareko was going to Toronto. Petrangelo was going to Toronto. Patrick Maroon was going to get waived. Jay Bowmeister was going to be sitting down in, I don't know, San Antonio watching because he wasn't going to play because he probably was going to clear waivers. Jake Allen was going to be burned at the stake. Well, I mean, not literally, but, you know, metaphorically. But Armstrong's like, you know what? What do we got to lose? What do we got to lose? We're just the Blues. Blues, 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 Clues, Blues, Blues. No, okay. I'm done with that one. But he sticks to his guns. Hey, we got some injuries. Let's put Bennington in. Let's just see what this kid can do. Jordan Bennington, who, yes, he is an older rookie. But he's spent so much time in the minors. He was down in Cal... I remember when he was in Kalamazoo in the ECHL. I remember his stints, his back and forth between Chicago and Kalamazoo back when Kalamazoo was the St. Louis Blues Farm Club. And then, of course, when Chicago moved on to Vegas, you know they didn't have a team yet, so I'm like, hey, where are we going to put Bennington? Well, they went to Providence. Okay, that's cool. But, like, is he that good? I remember when Jordan Bennington was backing up Malcolm Subban in the World Junior Tournament back in 2013. He only played because Malcolm Subban had a horrible semifinal against the United States. I believe he played in the game against Russia, too. Didn't play much better there, either. And everyone's like, wow, is this going to be a total bust of a goaltender? I mean, listen, he was always good. He always had the capabilities of being a good goaltender, but no one ever saw it. But he kept pushing and kept going, and all of a sudden he comes to the NHL, and you know, you think you're going to be all excited, finally get an opportunity to do the thing and do the thing you always wanted to dream about, and here he is. Do I look nervous? Well, that answers your question. And being snarky with the media, that was the best part. As a former goaltender, I mean, yes, I'm Mr. Talkative, Mr. Approachable, whatever you want to call it, outgoing. But seeing a guy just straight up look at you and say, do I look nervous? Good, that's your answer. <laughs> just like, just, just screw you. Screw you guy asking a question. Just getting her in there. Tell him how it is. And then they go on this incredible run. The Ryan O'Reilly, they finally get familiarized, all these changes within the lineup. Ryan O'Reilly starts to produce. Vladimir Tarasenko finally shows up. David Perron becomes back to form when he was in St. Louis in his first stint. Jordan Bennington just keeps winning. They go on an 11-game win streak. Listen, guys, if this if the regular season had gone one more week, it would have been St. Louis who would have had home ice advantage. They were on that big of a tear heading into the playoffs. Now, I don't know if that would have made a difference if you know all the away teams kept winning the games in that first-round series against the Jets, but I'm just saying it was a very intriguing game, or in, in, in very intriguing season to watch these Blues go from worst to first, then they go to the playoffs, and I thought, you know what? It was a good run. They get there. Bennington's good, but the Jets will take him. Well, holy cow, they did it. Well, you know what? The Blues, they're playing Dallas. Ben Bishop's pretty good. Bennington's good, too, but I just think the you know the Stars had a little more scoring. Game 7, Patty Maroon and the hometown boy gets it done. All right, well, they're playing San Jose. You know what? They have a chance to beat them, and they beat them. Beat them in six on home ice again. Gloria plays loud. They're going to the Stanley Cup Finals. Then they're playing Boston. Well, it's been a good run, guys. You know, Boston's got a tough team. You know, they like to get away with the penalties. They know what to do. They know how to win, yada, yada, yada. Well, they're really hanging in there with these guys. This could be a long series. And the heck, it goes seven. And yet, and they still, despite all against all odds, despite being last place, despite having to win 10 games on the road. I had to pull my mic away so I didn't blow your ears out. 10 games. They won 10 games on the road in the playoffs. 
I don't know any any other team. Please, someone look this up for me, the stat. I didn't have time to look through all the crazy hockeyreference.com stats, but somebody tell me if there's ever been a team that has, well, they've had to win the Stanley Cup to win 10 games on the road, but has anyone ever won 10 games on the road in the postseason? Ever? 10 of their 16 wins came on road ice. They went 6-7 and seven at home. 6-7! and seven. That's horrible! You put that in the regular season, I'm like, man, this seems awful. I remember how long it was when the Leafs were losing games at home. Like, wow, they're horrible on home ice. But yet they go on the road, they be, they were the road warriors. They were hawking animal. They were they came in on their motorcycles, on their choppers, playing, you know, oh, what a rush. And they get the rush going into other teams' barns and kicking them up and down the ice. Jordan Winnington. Listen, I really thought Jordan Bennington should have been the Consmite Trophy winner. I'm not saying it was a it was a a farce. Unlike when I said, you know, the last couple of years when Ovechkin won it and Crosby won it, I those were those are straight NBC stuff there. But O'Reilly getting the Consmite, he well deserved it. Like I said, eight points in the finals. Come on, that's impressive. Bennington, he if he I'm I'm sorry if he does not win the Calder. The Pro Hockey Rider Association should have a massive clear out and have to reapply to get back in because that's Bush. That's Bush Stadium League right there. See what I did there? Bush Stadium, St. Louis. Okay, all right, moving on. But, man, Bennington was just... Bennington was good. The Pareko was amazing. Um, I looked. I was looking on Sportsnet today, kind of doinking around, kind of looking for any other news of any kind. I, I, I saw, I came across an article written by... Rory Boylan, and the title of it is Question for Each NHL Team Heading into the Offseason. And we'll kind of go into Boston's question later on, but we should mention St. Louis's because, well, let's see what they're going to do. It's a very intriguing thing of how good this team can be. And it's because, like I said, it's so difficult for a team to repeat nowadays. I mean, Pittsburgh was able to magically do it. St. Louis's question, according to Rory Boylan, was how much will Craig Berube get paid? And we talked about him a little earlier and remember how Babcock's got the huge extension. That When Babcock signed with Toronto, that kind of put the line, the precedent for coaching contracts in the NHL, coaches' salaries. And Berube, according to Boylan, could get 3 to $4 million. That's not. That's definitely not a bad contract at all because, well, $4 million to put on a suit every single night is pretty good. Yes, I know. It's more than putting on a suit, the X's and O's, player motivation, stuff like that. I, I get it, but I mean, he's earned it. He's, he took this team that, yes, was supposed to be a, a really good team to begin the year, but was able to take them and actually get them to play together. And that's why when you see, that's why John, I think that's why you see guys like John Cooper get an award for the Jack Adams. That team doesn't, the, the Bolts probably don't win 62 games without Cooper behind the bench telling the guys to stay focused for a whole 82-game season. That's why... When you have Barry Trotz out there getting this bad team, this team with some talent, but a really bad back end to get to play together. And Barube took this team and said, hey, we're going to play. We're going to play my way. We're going to play right. Despite having, you know, guys like Jaden Schwartz and these high scores like Tarasenko, Perron, you're going to play tougher. You're going to play more physical. You're going to be more responsible in your own end. And guess what? They did that. And that's what led, led, led to their success. Now, will the Blues... 
have really any issues. I'm not quite sure in terms of what they're going to be able to do next year. I'm. It's hard to pick anyone as a favorite right now for next year because, well, it's so gosh darn early. They do have quite a few contracts to look forward here. Uh, let's see. Braden Shen is going. Braden Shen can be resigned. He is a UFA after next season, so the potential lockout year. Five point one two five million he's making, but like I said, he could be signed after July first. But they'll probably take their time on that. Chris Thorburn, he got his Stanley Cup. He'll probably go out with that. He's thirty six years old. He probably won't get resigned. Patrick Maroon. Listen, that was a steal of a contract that Patrick Maroon signed with the Blues, signing a one-year deal worth $1.75, where he signed for $2 million in three years with the Ducks. Before, remember, he got traded to Edmonton as well before coming over to the Blues in free agency this past year. If you can get... Listen, if Maroon loves being in St. Louis, two... Two and a half, if you could keep it around there. Listen, he's 31 years old, and he's called the Big Rick because he's a big boy that can hit. He's not the most mobile. I get it. Maroon in the postseason was big. He was able to play physical. He was able to play more tough playoff hockey. But in an 82-game stretch, that is very difficult for someone of Maroon's style, his size. Let's be honest, he's not the most fit athlete in the world. But if you can get him at a reasonable contract, and I'm sure Maroon is willing to take a hometown discount, that would be something as well. That to look forward to. You have Oscar Sundquist is on an RFA and Sammy Blaze. Those are going to be contracts that are going to be interesting to talk about. I it'll, Arbitration can be interesting. We'll see how that goes. I, you want to bring them both. I'd like, to, if anything, you want to bring Blaze back because Blake can, he, because Blake can play both physical and skill. Sundquist has the capabilities too, don't get me wrong. But if you're going to have to give a little more money to one person, you give it to Blake as A, he's 22 years old. Yes, Sunquist is 25, but there is a contract there. You'd give a little more money. I'd say Blake, but then again, I'm not Doug Armstrong, and I'm glad I'm not because it's a very difficult very difficult spot to be put in after winning the Stanley Cup and they'd be expected to do it again. You have Ivan Barbashev, who's an RFA. You know, He could be a guy that did, did play a little bit, played a little center, or played a wing, excuse me, but is a listed center. You want to see him probably get back down the middle. Back on defense, you have you have Joel Edmondson and Carl Gunnarsson. Michael Delzato, he may be left to the wayside. Carl Gunnarsson may be the epitome of you have a good final and you're going to get paid big bucks now. Carl Gunnarsson was never a guy that could get paid top four. I never thought of that. I never thought of him that way. I don't really think that he was as good as he thought he was. I mean, listen, he was in Toronto. He had good moments at times, but I never thought he was going to be a top guy. I mean, he had to play top minutes because, well, the Leafs did not have a whole lot at all. He's getting paid 2.9 right now. That may go easily up to three and a half to four just because of inflation. The salary cap's going to go up, but he's UFA though. So he could look around other teams that could offer him a little bit more. But he is 32, so that could be a little interesting. Then you have Joel Edmondson, who made $3 million on a one-year deal. Looking, I don't say it's like a bridge contract. He had his entry-level deal. He signed for a two-year contract, 2016 to 2018. And now, like I said, bump up the pay a little bit, up to $3 million. That could easily go up as well. He didn't play a lot. He did play in Game 7, but 
And he did play big minutes throughout the entire playoffs, but that could be a tough contract because, A, he's an RFA. So that could make things very intriguing for sure. And, of course, we'd be wrong to not talk about contracts or, or pending contracts without talking about Jordan Bennington. Jake Allen right now is $4.35 million for the next two seasons, AAV. Jordan Bennington's still an RFA because he hasn't played long enough in the league to get paid any to be a UFA. And he's going to make bank. Well, I don't want to say huge bank, but he's got to, you've got to look at it where you can't pay him over much. Yeah, you can't pay him too much unless you find a way to move Allen. You can't have goaltenders these days at nine million apiece. I mean, you. I mean, you can make it work, but if you want to have a competitive team in front of them, you have to find a way to to try to manipulate it to where you don't have two goaltenders making the same amount of money. So now we should probably talk about the Boston Bruins. Bruins fans, we've had disagreements before. We don't see eye to eye. Dave Portnoy can go kick rocks. By that I mean go kick his bare foot into a boulder. But then again, I just don't like Dave Portnoy and his outlook on life and what he says and all that other stuff. Whether it's all for sure or not, I don't care. Moving on from that quickly, before I get too heated into that, the Bruins put a lot into it. And you know what? I There's every reason why they should be emotional after a loss like that. You, know, you saw Bergeron in the locker room, very emotional. Marchand saying this loss is the worst of his career. Which deservedly so. I mean, listen, the other the last time they lost was in a game six at home. And the they were close to making it a game seven, let alone what was gonna happen back in Chicago back in twenty thirteen. This year you were sixty minutes away from winning the Stanley Cup on home ice. Yeah, that this loss hurts. And Tuca, man, you know what? I everyone I saw some people there were actually, believe it or not, at least from the people that I follow. There were a lot more people that were tweeting that this this loss sucks for Rask because now he'll keep the tag of can't win the big one. Even though everyone knows that had he not played Jordan Bennington. Listen, if San Jose had beaten St. Louis, Boston would have swept. I'm sorry, Sharks fans. There's no doubt. That Sharks team was too beaten up. But... Had Rask not run into a hot goaltender like Bennington, had Bennington not played good games in, in the games they won at least, the Bruins would have won the Stanley Cup and Tuka Rask would get the title of being the big, finally getting the big one. But Rask had the Bruins won, no doubt, unquestionably, would have been the Smythe Trophy winner. I don't care how good, maybe how good, you know, what an impact Chara would have made. What a great player Marshan was throughout the playoffs. Pasternak scored some big goals. I mean, you can go down the list. Charlie Coyle played big. Tory Crew. No, there is no question the MVP of this team, and the only reason why the Bruins even got to that point to Game 7 was because of number 40 in goal for the Boston Bruins. That's the only reason why. I don't care how good the team played in front of them, how they were able to get the big goals when they needed them. The Bruins played well. They had they had scoring up and down the lineup. That's great. Depth scoring is huge in the playoffs. I've always said that. I've always driven that point home. But you cannot win without a great goaltender, and they had an amazing goaltender 
in Tuka Rask. Yet, listen, I you cannot blame Tuka Rask for the Bruins losing this series at all. But that's the way how she goes. Going back to Rory Rory's inner or going back to Rory's article on Sportsnet. They were talking about the Bruins questions, and it's funny because he kind of had a chuckle with it because most of this team is returning. Don't forget, this Bruins team. Charlie McAvoy, I think, is the only contract that really may cause some issues, but they're not in a cap crunch by any stretch of the imagination. They have a projected $14 million cap space next season. The UFAs they have are Marcus Johansson and Noel Achari. That could be reasonable contracts. And listen, they have Brandon Carlo as an RFA. Okay, We'll see how that one goes. But Charlie McAvoy is an RFA. Okay. They're not in cap hell at all. You have Joachim Nordstrom for one more year at $1 million. Chris Wagner, I know he didn't play a whole lot in the playoffs, but 1.25, okay, grinder. Sean Corrales is making 1.275. That's going to go up in a couple of years. Charlie Quill has got one more year at 3.2. Yes, you have the back his contract at 6, but other than that, the Bruins are in probably the best cap situation. Yes, the players are getting older. They're five of their top six guys that are getting paid are over the age of 30 with Bacchus, Marchand, Bergeron, and Krejci. I understand that. But look at it this way. You're going to have a returning team. Yes, Sedano Chara, he's got one more year. He signed a one-year deal at $2.5, or excuse me, $2 million. I was looking at Kevin Miller's contract. But he's one more year for Zidane Chara. Who knows where he's going to be next year? You still have Matt Grizzly for one more year at 1.4. Now, yes, I granted, next year, next offseason, when we talk in 2020, this may be a little bit of an issue for the Bruins, but they have an opportunity next year to pull this off. And like I said, Zidane Char probably, he's played this, has his, his style has not changed since the 2013 lockout, let alone, you know, a couple years ago. He still plays tough game, yes, his, his size has really started to hinder him. He is not fast anymore. He was never really fast either, but he's not as effective with mobility and agility as he was back, say, in his early days in Boston or even back in Ottawa. But he can still play. And like I said, in the playoffs, it's Char's domain. That's what he, that's what he lives for. And it's kind of rubbing off a little on McAvoy. And you still have John Moore at 2.75 who can still who can put good minutes together. Torrey Krug's at 5.25. That contract's going to suck next year to try to figure out because, boy, he's going to get his pay for sure if he has another great year. And the goaltending, situa- goaltending situation excuse me, is fine. Halak's got one more year at 2.75, an incredibly great backup for Tuka Rask. Yeah, he didn't see the ice once in the playoffs, but the way Rask was playing, ain't nobody getting in net there in Boston. You could have brought back a great... <laughs> Jerry Cheevers, and he would not have gotten put in net because that's how good Rask was. But going back to Rory's question, sorry, I, that was the that was the point that Rory made. But the the real question was, what are they or how how much padding are they going to put in the press box walls of the TD Garden? Ma- making a joke back to Game Five when Cam nearly threw the water bottle. But are there the only real question is, can the Bruins? Do it again. Like, listen, I understand. Charlie Coyle was the steal of the the deadline deal of the NHL this year. He scored huge goals 
for the Bruins during the playoffs. Charlie! Charlie Coyle, local boy. He was big. You have Charlie McAvoy coming into his own. He's going to get a contract. Yes, that may be a little bit big, but they have the cap space to do it. They have a cap space to go get somebody if they really wanted to. If they really think their window's going to close, heck, they can sell. The, they don't even need to sell the farm. Just get the next big fish in the offseason. Come July 1st, they could be players. And you'll still have Tampa, Boston, and I guess Toronto would be third, unless Murner. We'll get to that later on. But the Bruins are fine. I they'll be uh, they'll be good once again. They'll make the playoffs. But here's the thing: is like what I say is they could next year if they just can get a fair contract for whoever they want to sign. Maybe a pair of contracts, depending on who they want to get. They could be a contender again next year, which is dangerous to think because they have so much cap space and there there's no real issue anywhere with who they who they have to worry about resigning. It's not like they're a team that has 17 million cap space but has to sign 10 different players and 10 players that are vital to their success. So, I mean, Boston could be a dangerous team. They could challenge for the division title. Yes, I know. Tampa just won 62 games. How could you say that, Tyler? Well, the Wings, after they won 62 games, after getting knocked out by Colorado in 96, they finished third in 97 and won the Cup. Like I said, congratulations to the 2020 Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. I'll keep saying that until it doesn't happen. Now that I said that, it's going to happen. Nonetheless, congratulations for Boston getting there. It's a bummer that obviously couldn't work out for them, but hey, it was a fun series to watch. They put up a good effort. Watching, I think watching Marchand, watching Bergeron, and how he just limped through that final. I want to know what kind of injury he has. This is the best part now. Now the series is over, so now we're going to find out who's injured with what. We found out Ryan O'Reilly had a cracked rib back from the Dallas series in round two that still was able to be a leading scorer in the playoffs. Was it 22 points he had during the postseason? You kidding, guys? Come on. With a cracked rib? I can barely walk with a cracked rib. I can barely walk with a sore foot. I stand on my feet all day at work and all that stuff, and if I have a, like, you know, a blister on my toe, geez, I'm, not, I'm sitting down. I'm out, I'm out of commission. Ryan O'Reilly is skating here, barely being able to breathe at 100%, let alone you now he's just putting up massive points in the playoffs. Man, it was a great series, a great playoffs. We were glad you could listen to us from game one onward. But now with that, now that everything is over, boys and girls, we have the offseason. From now until July, we'll say 7th just to give a little more frame, this becomes a GM, president, head coach's nightmare. Because now you have to figure out, because we have the draft coming up here. We'll do the draft preview, I think, next week or the week after. We'll probably do it right before. You have the draft coming up. There's all the free agent talk, which starts the week before free agency or a few days before that. And then, of course, free agent frenzy, which we will, I will be, we may be live for. I'm not going to put that in pen and paper yet. I'm not going to put that in stone. But I do have July 1st off because, well, I take it always off because it's Canada Day. How do you not? Yes, I know. You live in the States. How can you have Canada Day off? Well, you know what? Because July 4th is a paid holiday where I work, so I'm going to take it. I'll take the money because, let's be honest, taking a day off on Canada Day is nice because I can go play golf, get my phone blown up by signings and stuff like that, watch some TSN and Sportsnet. Yes, I watch both. Why? They have different perspectives. They, they talk to the same players. 
but they have different. I like to hear all the insiders. I love CJ. I love Kipper. I love Freege. I love Bob McKenzie. I love Perry LeBron. I love Darren Drugger. And James Duthie can be fun at times. And you know they're going to make an appearance of Jay and Dan on TSN. Anyone in the States right now is completely confused who I'm talking about. I am sorry. TSN and Sportsnet. Go on Twitter. You'll find them all. They're all very entertaining guys. Bob McKenzie's the best insider in the game still. He's been he's the one of the originals, if you will, of insiders. Elliot Friedman probably. I would say actually he does go above Bob McKenzie because he's hitting his peak right now. I remember he back when he worked at the score. Man, that was a long time ago. The score, yeah, back when the score had a TV network, ladies and gentlemen. The score up in Canada, who now it's just journalism, which is co- still cool, but it was it was nice when they had the, the, the TV station because it gave you something else to watch other than your usual TSN and Sportsnet networks. But we'll give you some points here. This is a little bit older news, but the Jeff Skinner contract. Jeff Skinner signed on June the 7th, so last week. An eight-year, $9 million per year contract. He's making $72 million over an eight-year span with the Buffalo Sabres. Boy, this is a contract. Let me just quick give you the breakdown here. It is $9 million every single year. That, that's what he makes. Pardon me, that's nine million AAV is base salary. So let's let's ready for this, guys. Be prepared to follow along here. No performance bonuses, by the way. He'll make 10 million next year, 2.5 base the next year with a 7.5 million dollar bonus. Now, you ask, why is that a 7.5 million dollar bonus? Well, or signing bonus. That is because, of course, like I said, guys, that could be the that could be the lockout year. I'm still preparing for it. Anyone working the NHL right now should be looking, you know, hey, what can we do when there's no hockey? You know, hey, junior coverage is going to go up the wazoo. But nonetheless, 7.5, he'll make 2.5 base in the 2020-21 season. The next year, which hopefully by then the CBA's figured out, $10 million flat, no signing bonus the year after that. Another signing bonus, we're at 7.5, $2.5 million base salary in 2022 2022-2023. And then 10 million, 10 million over the next two years. And his last two years of the deal in 25, 26, 26, and 27 are 7 million and 5 million, respectively. Everyone follow that. Okay, a lot of money. But here's the thing the, uh, the media said, you know, comfort's what kept Jeff Skinner there. Let's be honest, guys. Buffalo had a great start to the year. And that first game between Toronto and Buffalo, which felt like a playoff game and down in West New York, but after that, it just went down the drain faster than anything else, and nobody could stop it. And Carter Hutton went from an all-star goaltender to no more than a B-grade backup. Jack Eichel was the only decent light on that team. And Jeff Skinner, who was lighting up the league at one point, who was, could have been on pace to compete for the Art Ross Trophy, was all of a sudden an afterthought. And the worst part about this was the fact that they said, hey, he could be making over... 9 million next year. Because, of course, everyone talks about that early because that's what they do, duh. But the fact of the matter is is that he still gets paid 9 million now and he did not produce the same, ladies and gentlemen. He was not the same Jeff Skinner that he was from October to December than he was from January to April. Of course, yes, the whole Sabres franchise wasn't. I understand that. 
Now, how will it be with Ralph Kruger behind the bench? I don't know, but they're going to have to make it work now because now you have 19, or was it $19 million wrapped up between Eichel and Skinner? That's a lot of coin to be paying two players. Now, yes, I am a Leafs fan, so I can tell you right now I have no reason to speak because we have Tavares, we have Matthews, we're going to have Marner, we got Kapanen, Janssen. I mean, that's probably going to be something we'll probably talk in more in the next couple weeks. But this is a deal that the Sabres are saying, all right, we're going to go for it. We need our star player, Jeff Skinner, who, like I said, was brought in on a steal by Jason Botterill. He literally stole him from Carolina, which we ended up finding out Carolina didn't need him anyways. But nonetheless, probably could have helped when they couldn't score against Tuka Rask in the playoffs. But nonetheless, it's a gamble. But then again, when you sign those long-term contracts with big money like that, especially all no, by the way, all no move clauses every single year. So he's going to have to waive that if he ever does get moved, if he ever does tail off. So it'll be interesting. I mean, he is, he's only 27 years old. So yes, by the end of it, he's going to be 35. So some players will start taking a dip around that age. So we'll see how that goes from there. The NHL competition committee met the other day in Toronto, that was it was reported on the 11th. It was right before, it was actually right before Game Five of the Raptors and Warriors, which was the reason why you saw James Van Riemsdyk and John Tavares and a bunch of others at the Raptors. Or no, James Van Riemsdyk was there. I don't think Tavares was, but a bunch of Leafs and JVR, former Leaf JVR, were all at the Raps game. But Tavares was there. James Van Riemsdyk was at uh, representing the NHLPA. Connor McDavid was as well. And that's a big deal just because of the fact that the future of your league needs to be involved on how to make the league better. Now, yes, the league changes every single year, and it will never be finished. It'll never, there'll never be a year where they change a rule, it seems like, at this rate. But it is going to be interesting. Of course, Matthew Schneider, the one of the co-chairs of the NHLPA competition committee was there. So, I mean, obviously he, he understands from his from his old playing days what he likes to see. Of course, Colin Campbell was there from the NHL. So, here were a couple points. Well, I'll kind of briefly go through with them with you. They were talking about expanding video review and coaches challenge. So, the reason I, of course, this is becoming. Remember, of course, everyone remembers the Joe Pavelski hit, or excuse me, the uh, Cody Eakin hit on Joe, Joe Pavelski, which ended up being a five-minute major. They didn't quite exactly go into what... what the, the article does not say what they were going to talk about. But my point of view is, because we're watching the Women's World Cup right now, and there are VAR, there's VAR on little things, like little penalties, and it's so quick. I was watching Brazil and Australia earlier, and there was a call inside the 18 year box that... They were in a question if it was a penalty. They were in a question if the Australia player took down the Brazil player, even though the Brazil player saw it. The, they reviewed it. They were, the VAR off-field ref reviewed it, called down the safe. Nope, it's fine. Play on. Everything was good. Kept. It was done in like 30 seconds. Sometimes it could take a little longer, but it's quick because they can call it down from above. But my idea is you should be... So for those that don't... So up in Canada, I guess or around the globe, in college football, they review headshots. If you make head contact with a player, personal foul or making head contact, they review the, review the play 
to make sure it was if it was intentional or not. Because if it's an intentional head contact, you get tossed out of the game. If it's unintentional, it's just a 15-yard penalty in football. So what I'm saying in for hockey is, if it's a five-minute major, not a four-minute double minor, I don't want that. I heard some people say they should be able to review that. No, if you draw blood, you draw blood. No fans are much about it, okay? Moving on from there. If you're going to think you're about calling a five-minute major, so like I said, if the ref says, I should call five minutes for Pavelski getting knocked out, you should be able to go back and say, maybe we should review it first before we confirm it. If a guy goes into the boards head first, if a guy gets headshot or something like that, and you're thinking about calling a five-minute major, review it. If you if a guy makes head contact, if you're going to call a penalty for head contact, take it over to the video review because you got to make sure it's, if it's a five-minute or not, if it's intentional. If that's that's the big thing. You know, I'm not saying if there's a two-minute penalty, you should the coach could say, hey, go review it for a five. No, 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 no. The only reason why there should be a review is if the officials and an official off the ice, I think there should be one watching every game, an official off the ice that says, hey, we should review this for a five. Is this we should is this going to be a five? Okay, let's make sure. Because it could really ruin ruin how the game works. Offsides is will be an issue forever as long as review happens. I think you need you need something like a v, like a VAR. You need someone off watching it right there in the arena. Instead of having to make a phone call, having to deal with poor cell service and a tablet. You should have someone there on a big screen TV staring at it, watching and saying yes or no. Because remember, there was a goal earlier in the series that the Boston had that could have been offsides. It was very close. But you should have someone else there, I believe, in the arena. Yes, that's going to cause the NHL to spend more money. Oh, well. They also talked about helmets off during play. The committee recommends work on a rule constructive implementation. Words, Tyler. Implementation next season that would reasonably require a player to leave the ice in the event his helmet comes off during play. Which pretty much means it's the double IHF rule or the junior rule as well. Where if your bucket gets knocked off, you, you can't play. You either put it right back on or you get off the ice. Because long are the days of guys who let their hair flowing through the wind when their bucket gets knocked off. I remember back in my watching the Griffins back in the IHL days, guys like Chris Schiske and Dave Van Duren, there was not a shift that went by that if they threw a body check that their bucket went off. Whether they got hit or they threw a hit, helmet always went off. And it was always cool to watch them skate around with their bald heads because they were the only two ball players on the team. But... In a day and age like this, you know, where this game is so fast right now and the puck can be flying anywhere, I mean, let's be honest, there's a reason why all rookies must wear visors nowadays. It, it, it's going to be a grandfathering thing where in about five or ten years, we're going to have everyone in the National Hockey League wearing a visor. But going with this, you need to have head, head protection, even though, yes, you have head checks, and yes, you could fall into the boards, but that's why you want to prevent as much as you can. If you have a bucket, hell, there's a reason why, folks. There's a, an award for the Bill Bill Masterton Award for perseverance in the league because, well, Bill Masterton, 29-year-old player for the Minnesota North Stars back in 67, went to go through a check, didn't have a bucket on, went headfirst in the boards. That's when they made the rookies wear helmets, at least in their first few years of the league. Then they were allowed to take them off if they wanted to. But the point is, is that there's risk in this game. And if you can take any precaution you can, absolutely. Do I ever want to see bubbles on or cages on helmets in the NHL? No, absolutely not. You see how different a game is. I, I watch, you watch an NCAA hockey game. 
I broadcast ACHA games. You have put you put the cage on, you put the bubble on, you feel a little more protection, you feel like you can go harder in the corners. Guys are a little slower going in the corners when they have that bottom of their face opened up because a stick could come up, a puck could come up. They're not going to go flying in there unless it's a desperation play. Guys going in the corners of the NCAA like a bat out of you-know-where. They go flying in there with no regard for personal safety, but they do what they have to do because they think they can because they're protected. So I never want to see bubbles or full face shields. I don't like that. But helmets, I am okay with that. I lo- yes, you love the visual. Remember Tory Krug skating with no helmet off? Yeah, that's a visual that unfortunately we may never see again. But it's a cool visual. But is it safe? No, it's not safe at all. Goalies unnecessary freezing the puck. Okay, goaltending unions in session here, knocking down here. All right, we're having a meeting now. Committee recommends that the defensive team not be permitted a line change when a goalie freezes the puck on any shot from outside the center red line. Offensive team will have a choice on the end zone faceoff dot, yada, yada, yada. I'm okay with that rule uh, suggestion, mainly because of the fact I always hated, I never, I never liked holding on to the puck and freezing it. I always felt bad if I ever did. I because of course I love playing the puck. I always love moving the puck, and there's a lot of goaltenders league that can play the puck as well. I think that's just a kind of a this is kind of a a little bit of a not a shady rule but a dumb rule kind of just like hey let's let's just change this because there are some goaltenders in this league that still don't like moving the puck. You don't have everyone like Frederick Anderson or Tuka Rask or Carey Price that'll gladly come out and skate the puck all the way in the end if they could. But little rule, I'm okay with that. I'll approve. Thumbs up. So far we're. Three for three, kind of, on the video review, but that's whatever. There's another one of puck out of bounds. They, they, they put that one in particular, puck out of bounds. The committee recommends that when the attacking team is responsible for the puck going out of play in the attacking zone, all faceoffs will be conducted at one of two faceoff dots, face-off dots in the attacking zone. I believe this rule is more or less because of if there's a shot like goes off the crossbar or if it goes off of, or if it kind of just goes over top of the goal, that has to stay inside the zone. Yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm indifferent about that one. Uh, regular season tiebreakers. This one is a huge one. I'm not going to go into the face-off procedure and line changes because that's just a whole kit and caboodle and a half. It's just a dumb rule they probably thought of on the fly. Regular season tiebreakers. This one could be interesting because the current tiebreaking procedure is regulation overtime wins. But what they want to do, the committee wants, is just to have it just be based on regular season wins. That would be interesting. So I really like where the committee's thinking. A couple of rules, like I said, kind of dumb rules, but things you'd like to see differently. But I'm for the tiebreaker. I'm for the helmets off. And I'm for the video review under certain circumstances. Obviously, the competition committee is going to have to look it over. The PA is going to have to approve of it. It's going to be interesting how they go from there. But I really like to see what they want to do, what they will change. I mean, I know when Alex comes back, we're going to have an episode probably in mid-July, mid-July, late July. Literally a show where we say, here's what rule we'd like to change. Rules that we'd like to see differently, rules we'd like to be implemented, taken away. Have our own little competition committee meeting here on the Kuehl Podcast. It could be interesting, but then again, it could be a complete note of Um, Before we sign off here, a couple non-hockey topics here. Of course, the Raptors have just started. They just tipped off against the Warriors in Game 6 at the last game at the Oracle Arena. But of course, like I said earlier, the Women's World Cup's going on right now. 
And I don't want to see a little bit of controversy has been going on, but if you haven't read this yet or haven't seen it or have lived under a rock, the U.S. throttled Thailand the other day by a final score of 13 nothing, 13-zip. Holy cow. You never see that really much in, in football or soccer on this side of the pond. Because, well, not me. it's hard to get that many scoring chances. Yes, Thailand's not the best team in the world by any stretch, but U.S. put the goals, they put them up to them. Now, looking at it from a hockey fan, yes, why would you run the score up like that? Well, folks, it's a tournament. So if you remember my Memorial Cup talk, remember we talked about how important goal differential was. It's the same thing in the World Cup. You, and especially when the U.S. are in a group like Sweden who could really make a run for goal differential because they can easily beat Chile and they can easily beat Thailand. They should, they should have beaten Chile. They should have played better against Chile, but they ended up not. But and it'll all come down to the last game of the group when Sweden plays the United States. But a goal differential will determine who finishes atop the group. So it'll be a, maybe a better seeding on who they play in the round of 16. But nonetheless, the fact of the matter is, is that it wasn't an issue of having the players come off the bench and scoring their first ever goals with the U.S. women's national team or run up the score to 13-0. The problem I have, and the problem many people in the sports will have, is how the U.S. women's national team conducted themselves. And I'll be honest, yes, I'll always say how I love Canada, how I love living there. I loved living there, and I'd love to go back. Now, this is not a bash United States thing. This is a bash BS thing, okay? Megan Rapinoe scored a goal where she sellied, well, she, ran, she did the airplane arms and ran, and this was like it was eight or nine, nothing. And she did like a leg kick thing in front of her teammates. And and she went on today defending her actions, saying, oh, it was in the moment, whatever, and whatnot. And, yeah. and Alex Morgan set the record for most goals by a single player with five. And she was celebrating like, yeah, I'm scoring five goals, whatever. Listen. And for those that, like I said, I'm like, how are you being so mad that they celebrated goals? It's the World Cup, yada, yada, yada. Listen, you're, you've done it before. You've scored before. This is the defense. You are the defending World Cup champs. You've been there before. You've done it before. You know what you're doing. You know what it takes. Where's the class? I get it. Like I said, the players that are off the bench that will never play probably another game in this tournament, I understand. It's a big moment for them. But Alex Morgan, Rapinoe, these other ones that have had the opportunity, they have scored goals in national games before, they've played in the World Cup, they know what it means. Act like you've been there before, please. Yes, they tried to defend their action, saying, oh, it's in the moment, we were just so amped up to start the tournament, and yada, yada, yada. Listen, you've played bad teams before in this tournament. You know how to win. Make it seem like you've done it before. And the worst part, about all of this is that on Canadian television, TSN, of course, was TSN is the is part of the coverage of the U.S. or of the Women's World Cup. Excuse me. They have their panel, of a lot of former Canadian women soccer players, particularly one, Kaylin Kyle, Saskatchewan-born. She received death threats for calling the United States disgraceful and saying that you know it's bad influence and that you should never do something like that on a world stage. Death threats. Guys. Girls. 
Humans. It is 2019. How bad is your life going that you're going to threaten somebody because they speak their opinion? And I, you know what? I get it. You're mad because someone called your country bad for doing something. They didn't call your country bad. They said your team that's representing you, that's representing your country, was too dumb. They were boisterous. They were stupid. It was not cool. Unfair. They deserve that. Karma's coming their way. And you get offended by it. I'm not going to try to get any more political into this, but let's be honest. You all talk about free speech and yada, 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 yada. Someone says something bad about your team and you panic and you freak out and you send death threats. What's... Why? 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 Seriously. Grow up, people. Half of, you pe- half of them probably didn't even have fa- you know, pictures of themselves on their Twitter, or if they did, you could easily tell what kind of person they were just by looking at their Facebook profile. I just... It's just so dumb. And then, of course, they came right back to break, and they got all... They got mad. <laughs> Of course you get mad when you get death threats, but they came out and said, listen, we're not, they were, and and I'm the same way. I and everyone that's against the U.S. celebrations, all the flu flaw with scoring 13 goals and celebrating afterwards, we're not against the fact that you scored 13 goals in a game. We know what you need to do to try to win this tournament, try to get into the round of 16 and have the best seating as possible. The problem we all have is how you conduct yourself. And like I said, this is not a U.S. bashing deal. This, remember... When we, when we did the World Juniors, when Canada throttled Denmark 14-0 in their opening game of the World Junior Tournament back in December, when they were all celebrating and giving the ears and pumping out the Maple Leaf on their chest when it was 14-0 and murdering the Danish, you know what I said? And listen, I know Don Cherry said the same thing too, but... They have, the hockey gods don't like that. And then, what happened later, folks? Canada had the two worst bounces in the tournament in one play. Noah Dobson stick breaks. Finland comes back down, goes off Cody Glass, stick over the shoulder of Mikey DiPietro. Finland moves on. That was in the quarterfinals. I'm not confirming or predicting anything, but you almost have to wonder when... Is karma or the soccer gods, football gods, when are they going to come down and strike on the U.S. women's national team? Because of that. Because of beating Thailand and how they how they held themselves in a game like that. How they presented themselves. They may win it. They may. You're right. They may keep, they move, they may go right on and go right to the goal and win it back-to-back World Cup champs. Congratulations. Give yourself a pat on the back. You're the dominant force in women's soccer, women's football, whatever. You are the best. But... If you get spanked by Sweden in the last game of the group stage and get knocked out in the round of 16, listen, I'm going to have zero sympathies. Because trust me, cheering for Canada, I know how you feel. But you should also understand that, well, you kind of had it coming. That's how she goes sometimes. If you have any more things to say about the women's national team or the playoffs or any contract signings you want to talk about and getting ready for the offseason, please use the hashtag the cool podcast tweet me at the tweet me at tjku29 and tell me what you think about my viewpoints if you want you can do that i'll 
I may respond to you. I may just kind of wave at you. I may even like it just to be kind of ironically funny like that, you know, kind of hipsterish if you call me. Like my brother always says I'm hipsterish, even though he has the whitest Instagram ever. But make sure, of course, we also like to thank you guys for any newcomers listening that are on Spotify, on Spreaker, or on iHeartRadio listening on this podcast, anyone listening to the Downtown Sports Network. We'd like to welcome you to the Cool Podcast. This is obviously a different one because, like I said, I am by myself for this one. But nonetheless, we're glad you can join us here on this adventure we call a hockey show. We'll be back probably Thursday or Friday. I am off for five days on vacation. I'm going to, Kel and I are going to Toronto next Monday, which means it could be a big deal uh, with um, game six going on right now. So we'll see about that. We go on Monday through Wednesday. Be back in town Thursday and Friday. Have a wedding on Saturday. I'm, I'm in town from Thursday to next Monday, and then I'm off up to Glen Arbor, Michigan. Going to go and hang out at the cottage with Kelly's family, which could be pretty fun. Hanging out in the lake, getting a tan on. I'm more of a tan than I already have right now. But so we should have two episodes. We should stay on the weekly one. We're thinking about taking a break, but we want to get Alex back. And of course, we are in crunch time with in terms of we'll do a draft preview show, and then we'll of course have all the free agent talk in the world. We'll probably dwindle down a little bit in July and August because that's when news starts to slow down. Unless something crazy happens, because of course in that case we're gonna have to talk because you know, news and stuff. So once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Kill Podcast. We will see you all next week.